Hey guys, welcome to the very first episode of CEOs Confess. Today I have for you an individual who has managed to get into the health industry, who's also created a brick and mortar location, which is then now educating people. And then lastly, since COVID-19, he's been really able to scale his business and move it into the digital platform. And basically from what I hear has increased revenue by a ridiculous amount of money. Um, so today we're going to try to get his information on how he's done that, how he's done that here in Southeast Asia or in Singapore and how he's planning to expand throughout the other regions. Um, but without further ado, he's got this amazing start of the story in terms of where he uh, came from and why he started this business in the first place. But I'm not going to get too much more into it. Let's talk to the man himself, Mark Leong. Welcome, Mark Leong. How are you doing? Hey, Gary. Um, doing great. Thanks for having me as a guest in your show. It's an honor to be sharing with you and, of course, all your audience as well. And hopefully, you can um, give them a lot of value to everyone that's watching this uh, amazing podcast. Yeah, thanks. I mean, we're, we're really glad to have you on in the first place because, um, as you know, we're aiming to like get these interesting stories out from Southeast Asia and the businesses that have found success. And by the sounds of it, like you have definitely done that for yourself. So I guess uh, for a lot of the audiences who are probably watching or listening right now, um, they're not going to know where you came from or how this all started. And I want to give them the context to how you started this whole thing because it's not it's it's a rags to riches story um and a lot of a lot <laughs> of these entrepreneurs who are starting are going to have a similar situation so um let's start with that so tell me a little bit about how did you start this idea of farms um and get into the nutrition and juicing and all that kind of stuff what was the origin story for that i did not start up to be a, an entrepreneur i was i was uh, working uh, in the world's uh, top 10 MNCs and, and, and what happened was that um, one day my father was diagnosed with um, stage 4 uh, cancer of the nose, throat, lung and liver. So um, basically what we did was of course we went with the conventional recommendation of putting him through chemotherapies based on what the doctor recommended and uh, that did not you know, turn up to be positive and he yeah. was only... He was only having about another two more months of lifespan left um, after the treatment. So um, it, it really triggered me to, to do my best in terms of looking for alternatives. That was how I went in to research more about um, nutrition and more importantly, that was how I discovered juicing. So that remaining two months that my father had, we managed to expand his lifespan to another um, four more years, right? Just by putting juicing as part of his diet. And of course, when I talk about juicing, it's not about those typical vegetable, I mean, those fruit juices or those conventional juices that buy in a, in a supermarket, yeah. right? These are really yeah, hardcore yeah. green juices. So, and for me is that as I dig, dig deeper down into cancer, I realized that there's a lot of information in the health industry and the food industry that we have not been told. So mm. I, that was how the idea came out that I, I wanted to educate more people about about the, the amazing things that juicing could do for them. And uh, mm -hmm. that led to the first idea where I start, start up my, my business called um, the Farms um, Co-Press Juices, right? So, so that was how yeah. we started originally. Yeah. Yep. So, so tell me, I mean, that's an amazing story, right? So it, you started off with this situation, this do or die situation to help ex uh, extend your father's life based on, mm -hmm. you know, circumstances 
you know, not in your control. Uh, and then you somehow managed to extend his life by, you said four years, right? Yes, just four years. Four years straight, just on juicing. So, you know, in, in terms of cost for, you know, going through chemo and, you know, you can only imagine what going through chemo is like. Just by helping change that nutritional thing, you helped him extend by four years, which that I think I believe is, you know, that extra time is invaluable for someone. Um, so already like an amazing story. And that helps you spring up your very first business, if I recall, right? Right. Uh, where you created um, a, what juice was bar. It, a, a juicing bar. Yeah. Yes. So tell us a little bit about your juicing bar. Like, where did you start it off with? What happened mm -hmm. uh, at that juicing bar? It's, it started off with I, I, I went to, to back then one of my, my uh, friends and I, I said to both of them, I said, you know what? Um, we we got to do this, right? I, I, I'm a firm believer that more people need to know about this and what we find about the juices that are sold out, you know, commercially, whether it's through a box or through someone selling in the shop, um, there's a lot of information that's lacking there, right? So mm -hmm. um, I remember when I, when I shared this idea with uh, my partner Min and, and Yok Ping, um, they were like, okay, it sounds like a cool idea. Um, <laughs> let's do it, right? Let's do it. Yeah, so, let's try. So, um, and of course, during that whole process, they also saw how I transformed myself from being a person that is 95 kg overweight with a whole long list of health conditions, you yeah. know, got it all off in a short period of three months. They said, wow, okay, this is amazing, Mark. You know, we, we got to do this. So... Um, before before I went, started chipping in money into the first juice bar, so what all my partners did was they did they did the detox themselves. They went on a juicing diet and they introduced it to their whole family, and everyone saw that change. And that was where it's like everyone is very convinced and said, you know what, let's do this and let's put our savings in to get the first juice bar started. So I remember we were so excited. We went around hunting for places, um, yeah. and we found one very lovely spot uh, in Singapore. It's called Bukit Timah Plaza. Okay, so, uh, yeah. Right, um, and, and this small little area here, and, and, and technically I was still attached to my full-time job, so I, you know, I was like, okay, let me put in my, my, my you know, some, some money in there and, and let's see how it goes from there. While I'm not willing to take that big step yet to leave, mm. you know, my uh, five-figure paying job that I was, I was really comfortable with, right? Mm. So, um, mm. Yep, so we put in an investment, uh, we got the ball rolling, and that was how the, the juice bar came out, the first outlet in, in Bukit Timah for, for my business. And of course, um, during that time, we had plans that, you know, after we start up the first outlet, we wanted to build multiple outlets across Singapore and eventually Malaysia, yeah. right, to make it into a chain. So you, you're already thinking of like expanding the juice bar idea, right? But yes. I do remember, I mean, before we go too far into that stuff, mm -hmm. um, you talked about your investments. You also talked about not willing to give up your, your more comfortable day job, right? To just embark on this uh, entrepreneurial like business. So maybe to give uh, the audience more context to like, what was the struggle, the decision-making struggle there? Um, first of all, how much did you have to invest in the first place for that first juice bar to, to happen? We started off with um, about 100,000, right? Just to, to technically get the basic renovation done. Then eventually- Just to get the ball rolling? Yeah, just to get yeah. the ball rolling, right? Then eventually realized that, okay, oops, 100,000 is not enough <laughs> because then you, you, gotta, you, gotta, you gotta hire employees, you gotta do the, you yeah. gotta do the branding, you gotta do the design work and etc. cetera. Mm. Um, eventually, mm. you know, after the, the first few weeks of putting 100,000 in, mm. we fork out 
another uh, 200,000. So just to get everything started, Ooh. initially we have to put in 300,000 um, cash, right? Yep. Oh. So that was the amount that we have to put in. Okay, so just for everyone listening here at the moment, let me give you some context to why that number is so big here in Singapore. The cost of locations here in Singapore is very expensive. So this might not be uh, the same in other regions, but in Singapore, that's the reality of starting a brick and mortar location anywhere, mo mostly anywhere uh, in Singapore, especially if you're finding it in a mall or in a location where there's a lot of heavy traffic, uh, the price of uh, any rental space in like super expansionally grows, right? So I think that's you know confirm with me if I'm right uh, or if I'm wrong, Mark. Like absolutely, that is probably the reason. Absolutely, absolutely. So out of that um, quarter million, right? I would say probably thirty <laughs> percent already goes to the rental part because um, like what you mentioned, right? In Singapore, um, what is expensive is always about the the space, right? Um, mm. So on a rental loan, uh, before we even start business, we had to we got to put in five months of deposit, right? Five months. Deposit, okay. Yes, yes. Yeah. So three months of, uh, yeah, three months of, um, you know, deposit and in fact, two months of advance. So, mm. th that there is, you know, already 100,000 gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, before you even did anything, $100,000 spent. I mean, there's a reason why Singapore is uh, AKA known as the little red dot, right? If yes. you look on the map, it's literally a dot in the, in the, geographics of, of Southeast Asia. Um, but let's, let's kind of get a little bit more into that because mm -hmm. I, want, I want audiences to know that even from that very first juice bar, you didn't quite find 100% success in that first uh, endeavor at, the, at that time, correct? Um, can you give, I mean, if you're you know, uh, okay to share, like what was your um, average revenue for that first year in comparison to how much you were possibly losing per month from rentals and, and overheads? Oh, it was painful, right? Um, I, I remember, you know, uh, in the first year, we, our revenue was only about um, 30 over 1,000, right? Uh, ballpark okay. figure, it did not even exceed 40,000. Um, we were only making about a couple of hundred in terms of revenue per day. We were so excited mm -hmm. when it comes to the weekends because sometimes on the weekends, we could hit, you know, close to $1,000, you know, so we yeah. were really, really happy. Um, in terms of losses, it, it was it was really devastating, right? Um, we um, we we told ourselves that you know what, let's give let give let give all of us, you know, me and my partners, to say you know let us give us three to six months, right? Before mm. we talk about profit, right? So we we already mm. like okay, let's three to six months. We're just gonna continue to pump in money because we mm. thought that you know. That is how business is, right? We have been told, yeah. you know, when I, when I confronted my friends who are doing business, I say, where's where, where the fast, fastest time that you ever generated, uh, you know, uh, income, right? Margin, mm. not revenue, mm. but, but really see profit, right? From your business. Yeah, say, ah, net Mark, profit. Uh. You know, yeah, you, you got you to gotta have patience. You take about at least six months, right? If you're super good, mm. then three months, right? So, so we built mm. in that mindset. So we were pumping mm. in about, about 10,000, um, to 15,000 for the first few months from our pocket. Then mm -hmm. as, as uh, along the months went after the six months, the, the mm -hmm. number that we were injecting into the business increased, right? It didn't decrease, mm. it increased. Um, so we were going around about close to 18,000 each month that we were injecting into the business. And, and this is purely, we were running at a, at a negative, right? The, the P&L mm. is red. So, so yeah. it, 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 was, it was really heartbreaking. We were trying to do 
we were working very hard, right? We, we, I remember, you know, um, after my full-time work, I was coming in, I was working with my partners until 2 a.m., 3 a.m., right? We wake up very early yeah. trying to figure out what else can we sell. Um, we were doing everything, everything. And weekends, we were almost there all the time speaking to our, our clients, you know, asking them, you know, what, what are the juices, you know? And, mm. and we, we just wanted to make sure that, you know, first of all, everyone gets the best service, and hopefully yeah. they will come back and buy more. Mm. But there was a lot of mechanics behind that. At that point of time, I didn't understand that. We did not have that, right? It, it wasn't mm. as simple as, you know what? This idea is great. More people should know about mm. it. I'm passionate about it. Let's put money in and hope that, you know, apart from educating people, we are going to make some good profit out of it, right? So, so mm. I realized that that was not enough. And it is the wrong mindset to go in and start, start up a business. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's good. That's, that's exactly the advice we're kind of trying to get out of these stories because I think that is what a lot of entrepreneurs, especially those who've never started a business before, they mm -hmm. don't know the mechanics behind building a business. They think like, I'm just going to set up a stand, have my product, and then it's just going to sell and I'll make money in like the next couple of months. By the sounds of it, it's not like you weren't hustling, right? Because that's what the entrepreneurial uh, mentality always is like. If you just work harder, you're going to eventually make money. It's like, Yes and no, because yep. you need to understand this mechanics behind everything and yep. then also then understand your audience. So yep. that's really good stuff to know. So, mm. and, and Gary, I think it's really important to share with you guys that, you know, as I was mentioning that we were injecting money every month, we yep. were losing. Um, it, it came to a point that I almost, I mean, in fact, not almost, I depleted my savings, right? And, yeah. and I, what I did was I started selling my stocks you know, that were generating good dividends for me because oh, I was no. so hesitant to go and call up my friends and say, hey, uh, I'm in deep shit, you know, can you guys <laughs> just loan me some money? I didn't want to go to the bank. I thought that the first point of contact is going to be the people around me, right? I didn't uh, want yeah. to call my, 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 my family members because I didn't want to give them that burden. And initially when I thought about mm. the whole idea about starting my own business, I remember my, my family members did not support. They were like, you know what, just stick to your your high paid job, you know, you're, you're, you're doing your very well. Job. Yeah, uh, you're doing so well, right? Why, you're traveling around the world, why would you want to give yourself this, this headache, you know? So for me, it's like, if I were to go to them and tell them that, you know what, it didn't go so well, but I'm, I'm not willing to give up yet. I was holding back that, that ego, right? That fear that they will laugh at me and say, see, I told you it didn't work. So, <laughs> you know, I want to okay. call my friends and I, I tell you that was the feeling that I never got before in my whole life because I never called anyone to say I need money. Mm. It was really, really uh, full of fear, right? So, of course, I sold my mm. stocks. And eventually, it went downhill after I got my, my, my investments to, to inject into my business. And I remember mm. calling my first best friend, right? Her name mm. is Hannah. I say, Hannah, I need help. <laughs> I'm desperate, man. <laughs> I, I, I've depleted my savings. So, um, so I, I just want to take this opportunity to share with you that uh, I've been through that, that really humiliating level. And I think mm. I was quite blessed in a way that she was, you know, she was, she was willing, willing she help. was the first person I contacted and the first person that agreed to loan me money when mm. I, I'm, you know, I, I probably would not get that from my other friends if I were to call them, right? So, so mm. some of us were experienced to that level of uh, humiliation. Yeah. It can feel humiliating because I, I think in also Asian culture, there's this, uh, how do you say in English? Uh, Aibina. Aibina, you know, you need, yes. Uh, you need face, right? 
And for someone who, you know, from by it sounds like in your regular job, you're already successful. Mm-hmm. You know, for for Asian culture, like if my parents, same thing with my parents, if I'm already making money and I want to do this thing that I feel is like in my heart, I want to try, but it's it's a risk. Your parents or your immediate friends and family members might look to you and be like, "Why? You are you stupid, right? Yes, like you're gonna yes, give precisely. up all this stuff <laughs> for this chance to go broke." And then what happened to you is like you literally were going broke. You were at uh, in between a rock and a hard place, right? And yep. I think that's what I think you mean by it's almost embarrassing to then have to reach out to ask for help when at one point you were already so successful. Right. So that's something emotionally that you had to overcome by the sounds like, right? And yep. you're telling me if people are going to do their own business from the ground up, they should understand that this could happen to them. Yes, it's not all rosy pictures that it's painted <laughs> out that entrepreneurs are cool. You know, there is a smooth sailing overnight success. You become a millionaire or multi-billionaire. So, it, it, I mean, maybe there are some out there, I don't know, but uh, definitely not for me. It's like people will only see the tip of the iceberg, which is yep. the success, but they won't see the 80% of hardships and things that you, you went through to get there, which is, I think, for me at least, and for this channel, is the whole point of having this conversation is to be able to get this info out there to people because I, I do feel a lot of Asian people especially the younger generation who's coming out of school they are getting pumped this idea that just do your own business entrepreneurship you know you know, s- screw your studies screw this screw that like you should start your first job at 6k pay or whatever I'm like I didn't experience that <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. so I, I hope I hope this eventually gets to the right audience and they, they get to hear these stories but I, I want to move on to um, learning about now, like how did that progress? Um, because I know that there was five other or four more variations of the business before you actually got to where you are today. And from your background, you know, your whole brick and mortar system, you know, I know you're online now, but let's just go through the timeline here. So once you did the, the juice bar, mm-hmm. what was your next move? Cause you already talked about expansion, but you're right. already in debt. Uh, you got some more funding in and then now you're looking to expand. So what happened next? We, we went through almost like five levels of evolution, right? For my entire business from where we started. Mm. And, and um, while I'm going to share what are the, the, the four different stages after the first one that we went through, the more important maybe just, thing maybe just share the Maybe just share the second one first because okay. I, I will get into the other sure. parts. All right. So the second one is that um, we, we wanted to expand like I yeah. said, multiple, you know, um, juice bars across Singapore in technically every supermarkets and every food court um, out there, mm-hmm. right? So we started... Ambitious. To, yeah, we were going for biddings and uh, <laughs> back then I view it as, as unlucky that I did not manage to get uh, the stalls that we were bidding for. Someone else, you know, went with a higher rate and they got the price. So um, technically, it did, not, it did not go the way we wanted. So mm. after many months of trying to get the good spots, uh, we, we were a bit tired. Um, and, mm. and that was where we, we decided that, you know what, let's just go with another second outlet first. Okay. Let's build a super big double story unit instead of that small little juice bar. And let's see how it goes from there. So that was the second evolution that we went into after failing to secure those small little spots. Now, this, and this is a question for me because I don't actually know too much about the bidding thing. Is this very common like around Southeast Asia or around the world or is this more of a Singapore thing where you have to bid 
to get these locations? Definitely in Singapore. Of course, if you yep. are going for, for private uh, uh, properties, then you don't need to go on a bidding. But if you're going for government-related uh, um, mm. uh, properties, like for example, if you're going to those famous happening food courts, right? Yeah. Uh, like Holland V, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. All, all these great spots, right? Then, yes, mm. you, got, you got to be bidding for those uh, really, um, I would say, high-in-demand stalls. Yep. High, high, high footprint areas. Okay, yep. so that, that's good to clarify because... Uh, that's what I was wondering. It's like, okay, do you have to do this even in the private sector? So this is really just on the government area location. So yes. uh, again, for the viewers and listeners, uh, in Singapore, the government has a lot of these areas for like hawker stores, uh, where a good a lot of portion of the local public and you know foreigners and visitors as well will they'll have a lot of foot traffic. And by the sounds of it, is you can't just dump money and then just get the location. You have to go through the government, get access, and then there might be multiple people um, bidding for the same location. And then the government, confirm if I'm right, right or wrong, uh, will basically decide whether or not they want to give it to you. Correct? Yes, you are right. You are right. Okay, cool. Awesome. Um, so that, because you, because the government, I guess, didn't see you as a, as a you know, uh, business that could get these stalls you then went and built your own brick and mortar location instead right um which is the warehouse i i believe we're currently seeing is that is that no so Th this is this is the this is the in fact the fourth level of uh, evolution so okay yeah this so is not the let, one right Okay, so maybe let's let's start with the the warehouse then. So what then happened in your warehouse version? Because that's when I believe you started uh, going into more of training stuff. So not just like providing a juice product, but then providing yes. knowledge, right? So yes. first, what what was the big shift in business plan, and how did that reflect the location and and the business choices that you made? So. Um you know, like I mentioned, right? So, so we were trying to look for multiple locations so that we could expand our, our footprint, but somehow that didn't work out. So mm. we were continuously bleeding again for many, <laughs> many months. And um, what happened was that I, I, was, I was lucky enough to be invited by s some of the uh, private schools and, and of course, uh, some of the, the big brands that are associated to producing um, cold press machines, right? So they invited me to go, go there and give educational talks to their clients. So okay. after every single talk that I gave, people kept coming up to me and say, Mark, um, do you guys sell any program? I, I do not want to buy juices only. I do not just want to buy machines. Can you, can you please support me, right? In my, mm. in my you know, uh, journey of getting rid of my acute conditions or my chronic conditions. So, mm -hmm. so I said that, Yes, I have a background there, but um, I, 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 let me think about that, right? So, so I, I went back home and I, I started thinking about, wow, if there is a lot of these health issues out there and people are struggling to know exactly what to eat, what to do, and, and that was where I told my partners, right? I think then this is something that probably if when we educate them, then it gives them better reasons to do juicing, in the long run, mm. instead of just coming to us and buy a cup of juice, you know, once a week, mm. right? Mm. So, and, and of course, we were also saying that, you know what, maybe we're not seeing results also, no matter how hard we work, no matter how much money we are putting in, because why? We always think that there is a safety net, right? While we are, mm. we are clinging on to our full-time job. 
Now, why mm. not we do this, right? Let's go all in, right? Okay. Or, or let's go back to working full time, right? Because I, okay. I say I don't see the light that we are having one foot in here and one foot out, right? So yeah. why not let's take one more one more big risk? If this doesn't work out, at least what what's the worst thing can happen? Let's go and get a job. That's it, right? We start all over you again. Start start over yeah. again. We yeah. are ready. So this, we, yeah. Sorry. So this, this was your, your tipping point. Yeah, this was tipping point, right? Um, so I say, we already broke, we depleted our savings. <laughs> Let's just go one more time all out, right? And yeah, yeah. What, what could happen? Probably we just tell ourselves that we don't have holidays for the next five years, okay? So um, <laughs> I, I got to say that at that point of time, it was really, really scary. It took me quite a number of uh, uh, weeks to think about, mm. you know, telling my boss, Go screw yourself, right? <laughs> I'm gonna do something, you know. So, yeah. so eventually we, we we said, okay, let's let's do this, right? Let's do this. So, um, um, I resigned before we even got our official brick and mortar of the double story place up. I mm. resigned. Then um, we 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 locked ourselves in a room for one week. We came up with designs, and then we said, okay, you know what? Let's go and hunt for a double story unit, and let's let's do some education there. So that okay. was how uh, we went into the part of securing our, our second unit, which is located at Tanjong Katong. So that was the, the first uh, origin story of the education portion of your current business today, right? right? Um, yep. And that was from, by the sounds of it, it's like from you having to go to these places and, and, and educate other people based on their lack of health and then they... You know, they understood that, oh, yeah, like juicing sounds like a good product, but they didn't want to juice. They wanted to learn more so that it's it's more of like, and I see this coming a lot into play in today's corporate world and different business models. And it's not just like providing the fish anymore, right? But it's like also teaching you teaching to, how fish. to fish. Right. Correct. So, yes. so it's like you give a man a fish, he feeds himself for a day. Teach a man to fish. And he feeds himself for life, right? And I guess that's part of the concept that, that originated the education portion that you guys discovered. And then your brick and mortar place, you then started developing uh, the education model, right? Inviting people in to learn about juicing. So yes. uh, in there, you also provided the equipment and everything. Like how did, how did your pricing model for the first first uh, few sessions like that uh, how was that created it was really painful I remember we were trying to sell our first educational program for 350 Singapore dollars right uh, mm. there was zero sales we got our first sales when we went into a farmer's market I still remember mm. it was in the west side crunchy we were standing yeah. there for eight hours throughout the whole day and somebody finally came and said, you know what, I'm going to sign up on your education program for $350. You know, me and my partner, we were so happy. We were so excited. So yeah. um, I thought that pricing it at a, at a very affordable rate would allow us to generate high revenue, but mm. I was wrong. So mm. eventually what happened was that we were trying to figure out why no one would be buying something worth 350 when there is so much contents and value in there, right? Then mm. we realized that, oops, it was a shitty marketing that we didn't basically project exactly what the clients would be getting. Now, again, mm. what we were doing is that we were only indicating what people needed, but not people what people wanted. Okay, this is a very mm. important thing here for everyone that's watching here, right? 
Mm. What we didn't do was we own, we did not put out exactly what people wanted, but we only indicated what people needed. So mm. that was where screw up. Now, long story short, what happened next was that, of course, we adjusted our pricing. We mm -hmm. raised our prices up to thousand five, and okay. eventually the sales went crazy. Right after changing the strategy around, how do we put out the value and what the mm. clients perceive as value? Value, yeah. Okay, I mean, that's that's interesting because like, I th I see this happen all across different businesses. And it's like you, you try to price competitively, but then the, you're saying if you're not projecting or marketing and, you know, and you got to spend a little bit of money on marketing as well. But if you if you don't have the right strategy for marketing, then even at 350, people aren't going to be willing to give you that dollar. But if you market properly, even if you raise your price and by the sounds of it, you raise your price by 350 percent. Right? Is yep. my calculation there? Yep. Like around three hundred fifty percent. Three hundred fifty dollars um, to thousand five. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a big jump. Um, mm. But you actually, because of the marketing, you got more clients, which is yes. surprising. So it's not like the money that was the issue, and and this is particularly for maybe Singaporeans and and also the the target audience that you have. Right? They they might be a bit more on the capable spending area, um, but it's not the money that's the issue. It's the perceived value that you're supposed to give it to them. And once you once you sorted that out, then the business started streaming in. And then that's where I believe you started finding success. You weren't in, you know, at least you weren't going deeper into the red at this point. Right. You were slowly starting to climb out. Correct. Yes. So um, it was it was really amazing. Right. From from red. Then over in a short period, of one year, we turned to green. So. Um, oh, yeah. Nice. Okay, so in one year, so after one years of suffering or what, one, one, year, one plus years, over the course of discovering all this new information, then you started seeing green. Then yeah. once you started seeing green, now I believe is your fourth iteration where you started expanding on that same concept, correct? And then you went yeah. from, so maybe you tell the story here. So you sure. went from just juicing, more education, and mm -hmm. then you expanded. So what was the next choice in expansion? the reason that allowed us to make that bold step to go on the on the third evolution of expanding after the second outlet was established mm. um, it, it, it did not only come with this level of confidence right if you remember i was sharing with you earlier that the first year in my in my bouquet tima we were only making about 30000 mm. of revenue um, yeah. what happened was that um, at, at the second um, level of the business that we got into we were able to generate from 30,000 to 1.2 million in a short period of less than 12 months, right? Okay, so, so my math so, is not that good, but that's a lot. Uh, <laughs> that's a very big jump, right? Right. 30,000 to million plus. Right, million plus, right? And, and I think a lot of people always also, uh, we should cover that in a short moment, right? And, and mm. the thing is this, it's not only about the top line, but what is, what is more important is also is the bottom line. So mm. we say that, you know what? Hey, this is great. Um, we are doing the right thing. So now how can we host more events? Because our double story space is not allowing us to run um, events uh, consistently. Right? Mm. So that was, so what we said was, you know what? Let's, let's go out now and run bigger spaces to do events. So mm. um, that was when on top of our existing spaces, we were going out, renting spaces, doing multiple events. That was the third level that we got into. 
But eventually, mm. the challenge that I face is that we were so horrible in, in, in marketing that eventually our cost per lead, right, um, that mm. we were paying to, to social media platforms like Facebook continue to go up. And the worst thing is that it continues to double up, right? And we mm. just keep burning money. It's like, okay, as long as we get people through the door. Mm. Um, and, and long story short, of course, after that, we figure out that, you know what, this just can't continue that way that we continue to rent spaces out there while our marketing costs on social media platforms are rising. Mm. Now, why not we go and get a bigger space this time, right? Let's go and get okay. a bigger space and, uh, so that we can save that cost and we use that savings on, on space rental to bump it into the, the digital marketing um, um, place, right? So that was mm. one of the key thoughts. And of course, secondly was that after a while that we were cont constantly selling our education piece around juicing only, mm. and people started to come and, and tell us, right? My clients started telling, you know what, Mark? You know, I've got a struggle here. I say, what is the struggle? The struggle is I do not know what to eat. You know, I can't be drinking juices every day, right? I still got to eat. And it's a challenge in Singapore that I go out and find the food that you recommend me to eat. Yeah, it's great. You're telling me exactly what to have for breakfast, lunch, snack, dinner for my condition, you know, but I uh, can't find this outside unless I cook them. I got no time to cook, right? So, mm, mm, and, and me and my partner is like, you know what? Why not we, first of all, they don't know what to cook or how to cook. And secondly, they don't have time to cook. So we say, you know what? Great. Mm. Let's go and find a big place right now. On top of our juicing education and food education, we expand, we teach people, in fact, how to prepare healthy meals as well. Mm. So that was how we got into this current space right now of a four-story nice. building, which yeah. on the fourth part of our whole business in terms of how we evolve. And again, just to, be, just to be clear with you, right, Gary and everyone that's watching here, we did not have that vision initially when we started mm. from that small little juice bar to where mm. we are today. It just continues to evolve. And I, I think what I really learned that is really important is also to, to really listen to the problems that our clients have. That is where the opportunity lies. I, I realized mm. that in the early days when I was starting up my business or my entrepreneurship, I wasn't listening exactly to what the market wanted, right? It was more about yeah. what cool ideas I could have, what could what I put out to the world, do? what am I passionate yeah. about? But what I'm passionate about, what I think is cool or is important may not be exactly what people wanted or more importantly, it's not really solving people's problems. So um, mm. that was how we, we came into the, the fourth part of, of having this brick and mortar, you know, business established. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I believe that's important to reiterate too. It's like, because a lot of people are like, follow your dreams, follow what, what, what's going to make you happy, follow your, your passion. Right. And, and I, I feel like a lot of people, especially people going to start their own businesses is they're just going to follow their passion. And in your case, which you explained, it's like, it's not just doing what you feel people need. That's, that's maybe one part of the equation, but it's also then matching it with what does the, your, your audience or, or your you know, clients, what do they want? Yes. And then somewhere in the middle, you need to make that connection. And then that is the business plan because that's matching your passion to a problem that the, you know, and then being able to sell it. And then by the sounds of it, and I, I want to touch a little bit more into this because, because we do want to capture more of the Southeast Asia or the Asia reasons for changing. Because you, you mentioned like your clients were like, if I want to eat this or this is your recommendation, like that's all fine and dandy, but I can't find this all the time. So I remember you telling me there was a change in 
what you sold as well in yes. terms of it's not just salads and carrots and stuff because <laughs> I know Asian people they're not going to eat that they want white rice they want the fried egg you know yeah, they man. want the zuta all this kind yes. of stuff right so then yep. how did you change your product to fit that need as well so um, what what me and my partners were doing was that we were analyzing right like today how many salad bars are there how many healthy food chains were rising and one thing we saw that everyone had in common is that they were they were serving western um, dishes right like salad mm. um, greek dishes that were healthy like quinoa and a bit of yeah, olive yeah, oil yeah. and all that kind of stuff right a whole mountain of uh, rabbit food right i call it rabbit food <laughs> because okay. i'm a person that used to enjoy fried food a lot of meat um so yeah, i can't do it right yeah kfc man it's the KFC, best man yeah so and, and yeah that, that is the reason why I, I i i needed juicing in my life because i can't take raw vegetables so i say you know mm. what if 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 i am one of these individuals maybe i'm the weird one out so what i did was i started calling up every single friends of mine and my mm. ex-colleagues and asked them right hey do you eat salad do you eat salad everyone's like ah no man it's crazy i know i can't so I realized that, okay, actually, I'm not alone. And mm. many, of, many of the people out there are like me, especially Singaporeans, Malaysians, right? At night, we want hot, savory food. We can't eat cold stuff, right? Um, yeah. and, and, you know, most of the time, we want something that is savory, right? And more importantly, it's not cold or chilled. So I say, you yeah. know what? Let's do something unique that the market do not have back then. Um, we're going to yeah. redesign healthy food in an Asian way. So it's going to mm. be warm, it's going to be in a curry, but of course the curry, you do not use those highly processed you know, spices or, or, mm. or, or coconut oil, you use the fresh stuff. So we rented that and we, we basically kick it out um, and we test it out with our existing clients and they love mm. it, right? It was like, oh my God, yeah. this, is, this is amazing and I cook this for my family members and everyone love it. So mm. for, for us, it's like, wow, we hit the right spot. So that was how the whole idea came out. And, um, and that was how we tested before we decided to go on a bigger scale. So, so it's, it sounds like once you targeted that or once you got that sorted out, that really helped increase more people's kind of maybe word to mouth, uh, you know, expectation of the quality of service. Because I like the fact that you pinpointed this necessity of like, you know, rabbit food per se. I mean, I feel like that's what the, the westernized um, palate is okay with because i come from canada i know what that tastes like uh, and, and that's the that's that's the recommended style right and if yep. you ask, ask a westerner it's like oh eat curry for breakfast they're like wow you, you can eat something so heavy for breakfast i'm like in asia that's like normal okay we eat like misoto and everything uh you know the the moment we wake up um which you know the concept of rabbit food yes it is healthy but is it relatable to the demographic here it's not it's not all the time Right yes. for yep. for your target, and to recognize that, and then to this is where I, I believe being uh, maneuverable and and malleable in your business, then you shifted, and once you shifted, you got a better response. You got a better response from your clientele, and then from there, they continued to follow. And I'm guessing your your clientele grew from there as well correct it grew, grew. much bigger right. so in a short period of uh, if we were to put numbers in perspective um, always from, nice to have from yes. 35k in the first year we grew to um, 3.4 million of turnover in 36 months um, so that was the 
the achievement that um, our team achieved mm-hmm. in a short period nice. of um, three years, right? So, three years. Um, and, and I think what was interesting is that although we thought that that worked here, um, when I traveled to different parts of the Southeast Asia countries and, and we, we, we wanted to do a plug and play, then I, again, I realized and I learned that different cultures have different needs, different wants. Whatever that works mm. here in Singapore may not work when I go to Cambodia or when I go to Indonesia, right? So, yeah. so this was another learning curve for me that it's, it's really important to understand, again, like what you mentioned earlier, the geography, right? What works yeah. in, the, in the States may not work here in Asia. What works here in Asia may not work for in the States. So even within the Southeast Asia region, there are a lot of um, variables, factors involved. But yes. one of the biggest thing is that not only about understanding about you know, what different cultures, different countries people behave and what people want and etc. What is mm. the first thing that was most important for me, which in, in the early days I did not do, is taking a step mm. back and analyzing and being very clear what market I want to serve, what is that niche that I want to get into and what is that nano niche, right? Most people mm. stop at only the high level. Like, you know what? I want to be level. in the health industry. But Correct. what is health? Health is big, right? Mm, are you going correct. on weight loss? Are you going on um, acute uh, conditions? Are you going on you know, chronic conditions? What, what is it, right? So, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's, so I, I realized that the moment that you, 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 you further streamline down to that small little core focus of mm-hmm. the clients that you want to serve, that is what is the, the winning factor for my business. Mm. I, got, I was really laser target. I was not trying to hit everyone. I was, I was not trying to sell to everyone you know, out on the streets. It was mm. really clear people above 30, mainly female, overweight, with health conditions. These are the people that I want to serve to and people who love to eat. Right? They are not right. a bunch of folks that are already enjoying eating salad. Then these are not the crowd uh, that I'm, I'm going to be yeah, supporting. Yeah. Right? So, 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 so you're uh, not aiming for those like fitness, already fitness people? Nope. Right. So, mm. so uh, th- that was the only market that we were looking at back then. Mm. Mm. And, and that's even transpired all the way until currently, right? Like um, maybe let, let the audience know, because I already know a little bit about this, but um, let the audience know like what is that core? And also like how would you, how were you marketing? Because I, I remember in our previous conversation, you have a very particular way of marketing you don't just uh blanket wide everything on facebook or instagram in in social media ads or anything like you have a very specific place location and demographic of who you market to so who who and how like how does that all play out all right so this is another very interesting question which i've gone through a lot of learning and and I, I believe this is going to be something that's relatable to many of the entrepreneurs out there as well and mm. and um I didn't. I did not started off doing marketing on my own. What we did was we engage um, agencies to do marketing for us, right? So uh, people yeah. will always come up and, and and pitch to me. It's like, Mark, we can help you. You know, market your business. We can help you do branding and etc. Yeah. Right? So we said, okay, branding probably come later. Let's do on marketing first. I need you to help me fill up my workshops, right? So um, and 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 along the way, we realized that a lot of the agencies out there, a lot of marketers out there, first of mm. all, they are very fluffy. Um, they only tell you that, you know what, you just got to spend X amount of money and I get this, this number of people into for you, right? And I didn't yeah. understand that actually there's a lot of science behind. It's not just yes. like you put 1,000 in and you get, 
you know, 200 people in, right? What happens yeah. when along the way, Facebook changes the algorithm or Facebook Correct. increases the cost or YouTube or what is it? And I've got people coming up to me, you know what, Mark, why not you put your, you know, why don't I help you market on Instagram? And mm. I was like, okay, let's do it. It's cool, right? It's cool. But yeah. I did not know that, first of all, my clientele of the age of 30 and above back then, they mm. do not even have an Instagram account, <laughs> right? Yes, so, yes. Right? True. And, and, and for me, is that, first of all, it's really important to understand that you cannot simply just pick a marketing agency for the sake that they tell you that I can do marketing for you. That's one. Yeah. And number two, um, what I learned eventually is this, right? When, when you're talking about marketing, a lot of us, I was impatient. I wanted results fast. I was like, I, I don't care. Right. I'm going to put this money in. I want you to bring this in for me. I was mm. measuring ROI through people getting, you know, getting leads, getting lights. But mm. I realized eventually over time that these are not the right key indicators for me as a business owner. Getting right. likes on the post, getting share doesn't mean shit, right? Because yeah, end it, of the it, day, who pays the bills would be the people that comes in the door and it gets converted. Um, yeah. Different, so that was different the key. levels of objective. Different levels of objective. Because I'm a little bit more in this industry as well. And it's like, yep. you can pay more money to get more eyeballs, maybe more likes, more engagement. But then the objective for those areas should be a little bit more on like branding. So people are aware of you, but it's not necessarily going to provide people coming into the business. Right. And in your case, when you're a smaller business, you need that revenue, you need to grow the cash flow and all this kind of stuff. You can't look into putting those big level dollars into just awareness marketing. That's that's kind of like where Nike and Adidas can play around with, right? Yes, yes. But then for your businesses, and, and this is maybe a little bit of my knowledge as well, it's it's like you need to look at the micro and nano uh, marketing, right? Absolutely. So th that's what they call it these days, where it's like you're targeting, you know who your audience is, you know who your clientele is, and you also understand what they are looking for in terms of how they want to be communicated to, and then you need to find the right platform and the right place that they're going to be able to discover it. So there's no point, like you were saying, advertising on Instagram at that time, if 90% of your demographic doesn't exist there. It's just a waste of money. You're just going to spend. Yep. And then I will call out marketers, right? Shame on you guys, marketers, if you are selling this stuff. I get you're trying to make money too, but yep. as a, someone that's a little bit in that industry as well, it's like you guys who... I feel, that, and this is my personal feeling with that industry today, every marketer now is going to say, oh, I'm a digital marketer as well. I'm and a like guru, you, were saying, you know, right? I'm a yeah. guru, like I've done, you know, but they maybe do like traditional marketing for a long time. They don't even understand digital marketing these days. Uh, and I think you had to, you had to bite the bullet in experience to then discover yourself that that's not exactly the full truth. And you can only understand that once you spent all that money, right? Right. An expensive lesson. So, so hopefully for all you yeah. listeners today, be aware of that. <laughs> yes, yes that's really that. important. And, and I spent, you know, I spent my time after that really investing in studying marketing, but not mm. from people that fresh graduated from marketing school, but really, no. you know, learning from the best in the industries of, of various parts of the world. And, and, and I realized that actually there's no other marketeer apart from us, you know, are the best marketers for our own business, right? Really understanding exactly, you are, there's no one else that's gonna know your business best, it's you, okay? And, and that was where I started understanding like, you know what, there are so much signs behind marketing that yes, we can still get an agency or someone that, that does the hands and legs for us, 
but mm. you have to be the one being very clear exactly what you want to get out of it and also how you're going to position yourself right so i mm. i came to the part of adjusting not only in terms of the contents but also in terms of the headlines the type of pictures i use the type of font i use mm. the type of color on my font and also understanding exactly what time does my client or my potential clients actually serve social media right so for example yes. if if my clientele base are ladies right um 70 of them are housewives and 30 mm. of them are working professional ladies i'm not mm. going to be posting something right at at what 7 p.m because why these are the times that either they got off get off from the office they are rushing back mm. home or these are the time that the the, the 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 ladies are cooking at home you know for their family they just come mm. back from school or or, or, or work right So mm. what is that best time? The best time is definitely after nine when they are more relaxed or during mm. the day. So I, I mm. realized that all this is so important. The nitty gritty details, like like mm. what you mentioned earlier, right? Marketing is about understanding the macro view and also the micro view, right? It's not only about yeah. one side. You got to understand both, and you got to be able to see it from different angles. So yeah, that yeah, was yeah. for me another very important um, learning curve, which I, I highly recommend every entrepreneur here. To to really analyze it from that angle as well. Yeah, I, I definitely like have a thought. Even the exactly you're right. Like even the time you promote those ads is actually going to make a big difference in terms of whether it reaches the right person. And you're right. Like if you know that, if again back to marketing 101, if you know who the target audience is, you need to think as if you were them, right? Um, and you know, kudos for you for like learning this because. Everything you just mentioned is exactly what an agency, a good agency, would think on your behalf. But you probably know by now, if you really get a good agency, they don't come cheap because they don't teach you this stuff. They're just going to make the decisions for you. And hopefully you hope for the best. You hope that they're going to give you those results. But if you also tell an agency uh, an objective that might not fit your yep. actual need they're, they're going to achieve your objective but then if later down the line you're like oh i'm not actually getting sales they're like but that's not what we plan to do your objective yes. was to get the reach right so we helped you get there then you're like shit i spent like 30k 40k <laughs> and i just get a bunch of likes on facebook that doesn't help my business but then that to me again someone in that industry is like Uh, sorry, right? That, but that was the objective we discussed in the brief, and that's what we delivered. So, in terms of my job, I helped you get there. Um, yep. So, if you're gonna uh, approach an agency or get someone, uh, a third party, to do that work for you, you must be clear about what you need it to do, and then yes. they will help you get there. Un and if you want to do the better way or the cheaper ways, like Mark has done here, is learn it yourself. The content is out there, right, Mark? Like if yep. you watch enough videos. Hopefully, when you watch this video, you will also learn a little bit more about yeah. this kind of stuff. So don't pay, don't pay peanuts because you get monkeys. <laughs> okay, yep. that's a good analogy. Um, and then, okay, so so we're at you here at success now, and this would have went perfectly fine until what has recently happened around the world, which has been devastating for basically most companies. But from what I hear you've actually been able to get a lot better from the recent uh, COVID-19 situation. So why don't very quickly, Mark, you explain first what what has happened to your business during COVID-19 
obviously you're you were probably in a little bit of a stressed out mode because it's like now you're finally finding success you're climbing the success ladder and then covid came and crashed everything <laughs> right yep. right it's like a hard smack in the face and then what happened what did you decide to do how did you change um and then how has that really just you know from what i hear has grown your business you know significantly overall so how does that happen now so um everything was working very well smooth sailing we had big dreams of new expansions of putting our <laughs> flag in different countries this year in fact we were targeting to to expand to another two more countries um yeah. and in january when when the news initially came out i i did not expect that it would be so bad and <laughs> i don't think no one expected it <laughs> So I was like, okay, and and what was worse was that we signed our lease agreement in Malaysia, right, for our, for one of wow. our uh, branches, for expansion, right, yeah. which was ex- you know for expansion, and um, we were supposed to start all the renovation works in in March. Mm. Um, so um, what happened was that I remember at the end of end of February, our local government started to announce that um, you know now things are getting more serious. Uh, you got to start to impose a, a few, you know, restrictions of how many people can mm. come, and then suddenly, mm. boom! Right in a short period, one week entering into March, we were re- we received memo mm. that we could no longer operate. So Correct. I I did not me and my whole team. I remember my whole management team, my partners. We did not have time to even come out with a backup plan. Right, like you know what, Correct. guys? Tomorrow you can't operate. That's it. Correct. So I'm like, it was immediate. Shit. It was like a yeah. It's like just parachute a brick wall in front of you. Yeah, that's so it, it right? Like, and and I'm like, okay. So we we thought like, okay, what do you mean by you can't operate? So we call up. Mm. I call up uh, Enterprise Singapore, and ask. So I'm in an education business. If I can't educate, means people can't come through the door. You know, after they mm. sign up for my program or before they come out to sign up for the program, how am I gonna run business? Well, yeah, you gotta find your ways. So. We were right. like, I remember I was in so much stress, um, that fear, it's insane, right? Because mm. I'm in the, I consider myself, although it's education, but we are more on the event business in the mm. health industry where we get our, our, our revenues through people coming for our events from there they sign up. So if, if today no one is able to walk into farms, how the heck am I going to get sales, right? How am I going to pay salary and the rental? And things right. are still running. And I remember, like I said, I, we just signed a new contract for a, for a property in Malaysia. The, the clock yeah. has started to run. Yeah. So I was in so much stress. So now what did we do? Um, it was a, a, a period of, of not even weeks, but less than mm. three days we were scrambling because our digitization roadmap was only supposed to happen by third quarter of this year. <laughs> that is yeah. by um, August, right? Yeah. And we say, you know what? Uh, we had no choice. If we don't run anything right now online, we're going to die. So we were calculating mm. our cash flow, our reserves. We knew that, mm. okay, we had six months to go, right? Mm. Now, but the question is this. That is provided that in the next six months, things are going to go back to normal. So mm. we were still like, okay, let's, let's take it slow. Let's go and try out first the online. Then suddenly mm. another wave came that even employees could not go to work unless you are yes. essential. 
right? So it's yeah. like, holy shit. So I'm like, okay, uh, let's go and scramble out and look at what is essential. And we were glad that we had two business licenses. One was a F&B and one was for the education piece. So the education had to entirely shut down overnight, right? We mm-hmm. zero my employees could come to work. They had to stay at home while we still have to pay them salary. Um, mm. So what happened was that immediately we did two things. Number one, our F&B, we pivoted from a situation where my business don't sell any products. We yeah. Overnight, we churn out sourdough breads, we churn out food, we, we churn out a whole bunch of stuff under the retail that we were, mm. we were sending it to the doorsteps of our clients. Number yep. two, with that little revenue that was coming in, when we calculated, mm. it was not even enough to cover our rental. Neither does yeah. it, is it enough to cover the salary of our employees. So we know that we were in deep shit, right? Yeah, it and, wasn't going to um, be enough. Yeah, it, it, was, it was really bad. I remember it was down to the extent that there were about few nights. I was so stressful that I could not sleep every night. I, I kept talking to my wife like, you know, w- what should we do? You know, to the extent that I mm. say, you know what, let's prepare ourselves for bankruptcy if things didn't go well down the road. Um, mm. And we were talking about, sh- you know, let's, we, what are the things we want to let go first? Are we going to let go of the whole building? so that we still can have that cash reserve to hopefully pay our employees, you know, uh, mm. because I did not want to go to the resort of, of retrenching our employees while keeping that facility, right? So we were so down to that level of, yeah, it, we were really down to that level of desperation. And I was calling up all my, 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 my entrepreneur friends, you know, asking them, you know, what are you going to do with your business? And I found out that actually I'm not alone. And many of us were facing the same concerns right unless if you're in the industry of supplying face masks and sanitizers then that was a happy time you know so um what we did immediately was that we 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 switched to webinar i put on my phone i was recording videos i was going online Mm. pitching the program that i'll usually do live offline yeah yeah right so it took us a few attempts in the first few places we didn't get any conversions it was zero it was heartbreaking um, you know, speaking to a few hundred people and no one would sign up for my program. Mm-hmm. And it eventually, after eight attempts, right, on the ninth attempt, I managed to get my first conversion. Mm. And thereafter, I continued to fine-tune every single hour before mm. the webinar, right? Without, without stop, I keep refining it, you know, fine-tuning it. And eventually, we managed to hit an average of 30% to 50% conversion rate for every single webinar. So that was, what, Those are good that was what we did. And that was what, in a way, allowed my whole business to not only survive, right? But mm. more importantly, we, we pivoted and we strive, you know, beyond survival. So, so that, that was something that was really painful for me. But at the same time, I think it was really valuable to... Yeah. to look at crisis, how crisis can, can either break all of us down as entrepreneurs or business owners, right? If mm. you allow it to happen to you and say that, you know what, I'm bad luck, shit, you know, uh, this, this shouldn't have happened. Or you could take that crisis and say, what, this is an opportunity for me to do things differently. You know, mm. what else can I lose if I do not try this out, right? So, so yeah. I think we were really glad in a way that we, we took it from a, from a 
second approach of things like if we don't do we're gonna die anyway right let's just go yeah, all yeah. out um and it was really at a at a at the verge of desperation really, i would say right it's either a do or die it wasn't about okay let's think about profitability no it, it wasn't about that mindset already it was just, just survival about survival right but again i Correct. said um we were quite blessed that it was eventually beyond survival we we went you know, a few times ahead of what we usually achieve in one quarter, we could do it in one month. So, and, and yeah, so I want to touch point on this as well, because I mean, I, I'm in the digital space. I'm, I'm a video filmmaker for a long time. Um, I, I've done agency stuff. I've helped people strategize on marketing things. And now today I'm also doing education and all these things. And, you know, Singapore and the world, you know, it's, it's nothing new that we've been talking about companies like look you guys need to digitize some of your assets right like this is not a new conversation i have had with clients it's a very old conversation actually but it's very hard for people to grasp it and there, there is a reluctancy to try something new but just in this mm -hmm. covid situation it's like now you don't have a choice you're like you either want to <laughs> yeah. try it or you want to die okay right um and and i i can relate this i mean back to your earlier story of your second change right when you decided to leave your job and just attempt this full time and i've heard this story with many successful entrepreneurs there's always this do or die moment in their life or in their journey that it's like you either pivot and try or you 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 will fail Right. And then that is the moment where it's like, OK, well, if I don't try, I'm going to die anyway. So I might as well try. And more often mm. than not, that trying of something new and obviously there's still work to be done in there. Like you mentioned, you had to do it eight times before you got the first one. But since the first one, you're nine, 10, 11, 12, it just got better. You find it more. And then what I know from digitization as just a general you know, direction for the future is that it enables people to scale their business because once you went digital, correct me if I'm wrong. Once you went digital, you didn't have to only get 30 people within your one location at one hour throughout multiple time slots. You could scale to a hundred, a thousand, two thousand. It doesn't matter how many you can, you can go online in Singapore or Malaysia, or you could be in Singapore and someone in Indonesia and Malaysia could be watching. It doesn't matter, but you have that foundation and then you can scale infinitely once you digitize. Is that correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and just to add on to it, right? I think uh, that there's only three things I want to summarize in this part of the question here. N number one is that everyone is talking about, let's go digital. Right, mm. but don't just jump into the digital and start op you know registering accounts across all different platforms. <laughs> so it comes back to again, who are you serving? We have to be very clear. What are we gonna do and how are we gonna do it? Right. Um, uh, don't get too hung up with you know what are the algorithms? Uh, how does it change? Fundamentally, mm. when you understand these first three questions, it helps you to shape your marketing strategy. Right. Mm. The marketing strategy is important. Like again, um, the new, the next in thing now everyone is talking about is TikTok, right? So for my yeah. clients, they, they, they still do not even have Instagram yet. Most of yeah. them are still holding on to Facebook and WhatsApp, mm. okay? Mm. And to go to TikTok, is it important? Yes, to start to build younger crowd, but is mm. that where my clientele are? The answer is no. 
Okay, so That's again, like priority. just yeah, jumping into uh, digitization, like everyone is saying, right, you should go there. This is the next big thing, right? Don't follow mm. the herd mentality. You got to understand first exactly what it is for you and your clients. Where do they hang out with? That's number one. Okay, mm. now number two. Um, people always thought that you know the moment you go into digital space, things are going to be rosy. Everyone is going to turn up to have amazing stuff. No, it doesn't. Like I said, you know, my webinar was not successful until the ninth round, and mm. the amount of effort and work that I had to put in is is crazy, right? I was reading, I was watching, I was speaking to myself in front of the 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 phone, in front of the toilet mirror when I was showering, right? There was a lot of there's a lot of effort put in that you you got to be able to do it, right? You got to do, mm. put in the work, you know. So so it's it's just continue fine tuning don't give up although times are difficult and the last thing that i really learned is through this whole crisis right it it allowed me to think again what is that new way of running business right and earlier you mm. mentioned a very good quote mark in the past you need to have you can only cater 30 people you know in each hour at your physical space now you can do one hour with 300 people right so mm. um that make me think as well you know what am i going to do with my office space here in singapore what am i going to do with the office space in malaysia and also in indonesia where we have a partner there locally right and mm. and uh, again i think adaptability is the word we have to adapt with the environment with the time that is changing we can't hold back and say that let's 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 see how it goes and hopefully things will go back to normal things do mm. not go back to normal you just got to keep on chasing and you just got to keep on staying on the curve riding the wave and mm. and what i really enjoyed about this while many business owners are finding covid 19 a nightmare you know um, for them mm. i find that in fact it allowed us to run things more effectively at the scale that i never thought it was possible because i'm more lean in terms of my resources before the covid 19 mm. i was planning to hire another eight more you know people right into my organization mm. but now i did not hire eight more and i'm still running at the same amount of resources but more importantly we are generating five times the revenue of what we were generating back then and mm. the beauty of it is this right i get to scale um, my business you know like ways that you i would never ever imagine i could do it and my margins are much better because why now i don't need to fly my whole team to different countries i don't need to run an event space i don't need to run hotels i can yeah. do it just with my phone and a laptop so these are the yeah, three is, takeaways right but i just want to wrap things up here with maybe um maybe some final numbers because we went through some of that journey uh, and i think you know for people listening they're going to be interested in like okay mark okay mark where are you today then what are some of your numbers so Please just share the numbers that you're comfortable with sharing. But we went over your first few years of being more than like negative uh, quarter million dollars in debt, <laughs> going yeah. through the motions and getting another loan. Um, and then, you know, the second or third year you were saying then you were seeing more of like the one point three million dollar revenue numbers. Um, and then when you scaled up, then you were more of the three point something a million dollars and then until just recently right so this is i'm talking like probably the last three four months okay share with us what is the current average maybe foresight of your new business model and what do you foresee you 
possibly making at the end of this year, even with the COVID-19 situation? So we are looking at um, hitting um, 6 million by end of this year. Right. So um, we are looking at, so what we have achieved in the past is definitely a, a, a double growth, um, double digit growth uh, on year to year. So um, mm. the, the target has not changed for us this year. And uh, I'm, I'm glad that we are already halfway there, um, considering mm. that the first part of the year is already gone. So um, that is what we are looking at um, in terms of the numbers. Um, and and I, I, the second question is around the, the, how, are we, how differently are we going to run our business? I, I think things are definitely going to be very different. People keep asking mm. what is going to be the new norm. Um, I do not know what is the new norm. I only know that now this is a norm. <laughs> Right, what we are <laughs> yeah. in right now, all these Zoom calls, these are the norm, right? And yeah. um, it's it, it, uh, again, it's really thinking from that angle, like how can we provide our our services and our products to the market, to the consumers, um, more effectively, um, cheaper way, and uh, again, um, even remotely, right? Without having a physical presence, um, this these are the things that I think all of us got to start thinking. From the area of our, our our business and um yep like i said you know it's really about adapting um it, with the with the whole change what are the one final message you have for the potential viewers who have watched until now what's the one key takeaway that you would like them to i guess take away from this uh session that we've had today i instead of one key takeaway i'm going to give you three points for takeaway number one sure really important that you have a very good strong team that is staying with you through storm and sunshine um, we can't do this alone i could not have achieved all of this success without a great team so team mm. is really important number two um, you do not need to have big visions i always thought that if in order for me to be successful in my business i need to have like a 20-year vision of where my business is going to be um, what is more important is that um, you are very clear each year, all right, what you want to achieve. That roadmap needs to be clear. If you can't look above one year, two years, three years, doesn't matter. At least within that one year, you've got to be very clear what you want to achieve. Then along the way, you will find your answers. Um, mm. Now, last but not least, it's not only about working hard, but it's more importantly about working smart. In a way that uh, when I, don't, I don't mean by just working smart, smart in an intelligent way, but yeah. re really breaking down your strategies into measurable timelines and measurable figures, right? Hmm. Many times when we set a number, we, we, we just see that number, but you will find that those numbers are really impossible to reach. But the moment when you break it down into smaller pieces and you, have, you develop plans around there, then actually that number is not really that difficult. So these are the three key takeaways from my, from my years of building my business. And, and I find that it is really important that all of you um, hopefully benefit from this tree sharing because it did for me, it changed my life. And I'm going to continue to apply these three takeaways that I share with you in my life in, in building my business. Thank you, Gary. Um, I think we're going to wrap that up. Um, thank you for... Thank you for giving us your time and, and your insights and all that kind Pleasure. of stuff. Uh, I hope uh, the viewers find this all valuable. Thank you for coming. 
I hope you had a great experience. Did you have Definitely. a good experience? It was great, yeah. man. It was great. Great to be to be the first one on your show. And in fact, um, many things that I've shared with you, um, I've not in fact shared with many people out there. So uh, I hope your audience will enjoy these um, things that I've just shared. Thank you for being here. Um, I'm just going to stop my recording. And without further ado, thank you guys. Jikoi out. Peace. All right. Bye. Hey, so you're here at the end of the interview. I hope you found that all very insightful and interesting because I know I did. Now, if you haven't done so already, please follow us on our CEO's Confess page on LinkedIn and Facebook so you can keep up to date with anything new that's happening and also get more bite-sized pieces of content. So I hope you tune in to the next episode, but until then, Jikoi out. Peace.